Hi, everybody. Hello, everybody. Well, here we are. Fortunately, I don't think it's going to be a repeat of 2021, but yeah, it's cold outside. I think we're going green at green. Things working. Just came across. Yeah, I think wow. it's all looking good. It's a little dark in here, but you know, there we go. No sunshine out. Dark day. Got as many lights on as I can turn on. If I turn the overhead lights on, I look like I'm in a police station being interrogated by getting the good good cop bad cop routine. If, if they like didn't the see what's going on behind you, they might really think that. And we're we're yeah. all live. Everything's good. Yes. Okay. So I do want to tell you just in that second. I got a message that ran across there from Doug Damewood saying, please pray for Theodis. They are at the hospital right now, and they're having tests run. So I'm not sure exactly. On whom? Theodis. Okay. Yeah, so let's wow, keep okay. Theodis in mind. I know most of you know I who she is. yesterday. Me too. Yeah. Yes, and um, she's just a lovely person, and I'm not sure. That's all it said. That's all it said. We'll keep Theodis in our prayers. Yes. You know, the great thing about prayer is that you don't have to know all the specifics of exactly what it is you're praying for. Praying, praying binds you to God. It binds you to the other person. And God knows all of the details. Um, so it is really our participation concern that is, I think, yes. I think the key there it for is. health and healing. So for sure, we will. We will all do that. Yes, we'll keep her in our prayers. And, um, you know, Scott and I, if you don't know, we live in Frisco, and we live in what they would call South Frisco. Yes. And we already have had a couple bouts of, like, really pelting sort of sleet. Our sidewalk is not slippery, but things like our wrought iron... Um, outdoor furniture set with a, a the slate bridges top. and overpasses of the patio is that yes, what you mean uh, in the patio <laughs> i just told a friend who she didn't have anything yet and i told her that it would be a perfect giant ice skating rink for my barbies i mean yeah. it is super <laughs> slick on anything that's metal or stone outside but um we don't her, have a slick and you told her if she needed a bread and milk now's the time to go get it that's right if she lives south of here you can still do it here, here and you're not going to have any problems right, right now because right. we're still, the heavy stuff is all coming. all coming. So for those of you who are a part of the Tuesday class, either online or streaming, I'm going to keep my eye on the Plano SD, ISD. I'm really seemingly quite sure that they're going to cancel yes. class. When they do, I'll just send out a notice. It's possible that even if the Plano ISD opens, I will not call people to the church tomorrow. It just, you know, my attitude about it is it's, I just feel terrible if people got hurt or right. crossing that right. a slick parking lot at the church or something like that. So we'll see. But I, I, I'll... We've already been notified from a really good source that is well connected to the um, PISD that school has already been canceled. Yeah, I can't find the cancellation um, notice, right. but right. it's somebody but it who works our, with them. Our so. class, um, you know, our class is very big in doing the food for kids and... The person who organizes all that had sent a text out saying basically that his contact at PISD said that absolutely no deliveries tomorrow and they would not be tried to be done till Friday. So when I heard that, yeah, we, I, kinda, I, yeah, we can all know what's we, coming. We pretty much know what's happening. And Patty asked me if I was going to do the class tomorrow online. And I said, no, I don't want to do it online. This is one of the great stories for me in the Bible is the story of the call of little Samuel. Yes. Little Samuel was summoned to God's service, and I want to do it in person and yes. have everybody there, and we will enjoy it and talk about it. So we'll just and what's happened do it the next week. Different again is that on Patty's we, birthday. We oh, <laughs> we've been having um, big 
Tuesday classes in person, and a lot of them are new people, and we also are a little afraid that they, they would have where to no find idea us, you know. how to find Scott's class tomorrow. So, so that's that story. Mm-hmm. Sunday class is going well. We're setting rec- we have record attendance on Sunday. We yes. had more than three hundred people yes. in person and and live. We had two hundred seventy four people in person on Sunday. I don't. Yes, that's above pre COVID levels levels for for the eleven o'clock class. So and sixty three um, people watching it on Online. Facebook. So that is gigantic. Yeah. You know, over 300. A lot of good spirit people. at the church. Yes, we're so glad. So many new we're people. We're glad all on of you Sundays. are here today. Yep. And gosh, you know, we may well, I don't know, it's possible we'll finish Second Thessalonians today. Okay. And I'm going to take Susan Faulkner's suggestion and we're going to go from here to Hosea. Okay. I love the story of Hosea. That's a good uh, one, which, Susan. Yeah, which takes up kind of the front part of the book, and then it becomes a little bit more like Isaiah, but it'll all be good. Well, 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 it'll be very helpful, I think, to 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 take a look at the book of Hosea. So that's what we're going to do, a little Old Testament after we've spent, after we've done 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Thessalonians yes. You know what one upside is? What's that? Hosea is much easier for me to say. Okay. <laughs> So I am looking forward to that. I keep checking the screen because Scott's warned me. He said, it's going to be really dark today. And so I keep looking and I'm thinking, no, we're not that dark. Not not that dark. How about about now? We're getting darker. But I looked much better there. Go back there. (laughs) Okay, I think you better open us so that we might might actually finish this today. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here. It is a cold day. It is a nasty day. We pray that everybody will... Be safe, that the power will stay on, and that um, people can just hibernate for a day or so and, and let this weather pass. We want to lift up Theodore Stainwood, and and she's undergoing tests. We don't know for what, but it doesn't. I don't have to know. I just, just express my love and concern for Theodore, and please hold her in your healing and comforting arms. And, um, and take d- care of Doug, too, as yeah, he's waiting. Yeah, that's got to be true. And just just guide us today as we come to this uh, further sections in Paul's short letter to the Thessalonians. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. I'm going to move on back. Better get your heater you... well arranged over right. there, honey. Well, do you want your heater back on? Nope. Okay. I'll turn it on if I need it. Okay. Thank you. I got my little vest on here. Yeah. I'm looking good. And not really, I'm not really looking good, but, you know, I got the vest on. So, there we go. <laughs> okay, so what I'd like to do, let's see. We spent a good bit of time in the first portion of Chapter 2 about good and evil. And remember that, this man of destruction and the restrainer and these things. We just, we couldn't really be very sure exactly what Paul was talking about. I don't know what, we just have to be very modest about that, but we don't have to be modest about our need, the world's, our society's need to recognize the existence of sin and to recognize the existence of evil. Evil, of course, is not a force like in Star Wars. Evil is the destruction of the good, and it's and it comes from choices we make. Now there are bad things that happen in this world, in which people suffer, um, 
things like tornadoes and earthquakes that you can't really put in the category of like moral evil, moral moral acts done by humans. Um, they're more in what is sometimes called natural evil, and 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 there it's difficult, you know, um, a lot of unfortunate explanations are offered there that I don't think are helpful. And we just have to be willing to accept the fact that we can't explain all of that, everything that is wrong in this world. But we have something to say. We have things to say. So we, we silence isn't the path we have to take either. And, and somewhere between a fully satisfying explanation and silence is, is kind of where we have to be. And Arthur's been talking about this a little bit lately in his, in his sermons. I um, found something when I was preparing for last week's class, on last week's Monday class, that I wanted to share with you. I didn't do it last week. I'm only, I was overly ambitious. I had all this stuff all this stuff I was going to read to you, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use one paragraph. Um, this is from Beverly Roberts Gaventa. Very, very respected woman, professor and, and writer. And uh, she says, texts such as Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, well, that's where we were for several weeks. However they make a squirm, call us away from a white bread Christianity in which neither God nor the gospel has much depth or substance to a recognition of the presence of evil in the world. They do not answer our questions about why evil exists. They do not offer a talisman that protects us from its power, its consequences. Nevertheless, they do promise that the day will come when evil, all of it, the what we do, to diminish the goodness and what comes out of the natural world that diminishes the goodness will be conquered. Conquered how? As Paul writes in chapter 2, by the mere breath of the Lord Jesus. And it's just, I think, important to, to acknowledge that. And, and um, when Jesus returns and the day of the Lord is fully consummated, fully manifest, everybody sees it, then that will all be swept away. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that Arthur has been talking about this as much as he has lately. Um, okay, so hang on one second. I'm going to put my phone on like, do not disturb. Um, Doug yeah. may have tried to send you something. He did. I just saw I had a message. Can you look at it and see if he's told us what's happened? Um, sure, I can try to do that. I'll tell everybody. This is actually from Theodos. Oh, good. She says, thank you, Scott. Theodos, oh, hit from Doug, because he checks in on her name. Theodos couldn't say same words today, so they are checking her out. Oh, couldn't say some words. Well, okay, good deal. Yep, yep, I'm glad they took her right to the hospital with that. She's just having a few speech problems, so hopefully those will prove to be transitory and She'll, she'll be in fine shape. All right. So let's... We really kind of quickly read through verses 13 to 17 last week in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 
So let's just go back. I want to read into chapter 3. That's my new phrase. I want to read into chapter 3. Okay, so look at verse, thing, verse 13. Because he's finished talking about evil and, and, and the day of the Lord and the rest. And he says, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved. Because they're in the early part of the movement, right? Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the Spirit is the Holy Spirit at work in their lives, helping them to become ever more holy, which is what sanctifying is. Sanctifying uh, is means uh, uh, growing in holiness, as in sanctuary being a holy place. The sanctifying work of the Spirit, and through belief in the truth, through faith in the truth. So, in that sentence, what does what what does Paul do in that sentence? He talks both about the work of the Spirit, who is God's empowering presence with us, the work of the Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Spirit to work with us in growing, but also focuses on our faith in the truth, in the gospel. The truth about what? The truth about Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. Our faith, their faith in the truth, our faith in the truth. Um, this is another topic that Arthur has been talking a, a lot about lately, th that there is truth in this world. There is objective truth. There are things which are true and things which are not. And what we proclaim to be true to the world is that there is a God who created everything there is and has been at work on a project to redeem a rebellious humankind for low unto 4,000 years now, beginning with Abraham. Um, It's so weird to see lightning warnings coming up on my iPad <laughs> in the midst of all this. That's strange. Okay. Because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief. Again, in the Greek, it's pistis, through faith in the truth, through trust in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, the good news. That hour is not something that belongs to Paul. It is the gospel of Christ. It is the gospel of the, that the church is proclaiming. It is God's gospel through our good news that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that sharing in Jesus that I talked about in my class a little bit yesterday that um, sometimes I think maybe we Protestants get very focused on what Jesus does, whether it's his ministry or the miracles or even what he does on the cross, and maybe not enough time on simply the person, Jesus, that it is, it is he who saves. Salvation is found in him, in him. And um, salvation is to be restored to a right relationship with Jesus. Often when I say that, I'll use a, a words like salvation is being restored to a right relationship with God. But of course, that means what? To be restored to our, to our right relationship with Jesus. 
for Jesus is fully and completely God. He is the he is the full revelation of God. Of course he is. He must be. So Paul says he called, he says he God called these Thessalonians to this. Called them this. Maybe, maybe, you know, a word I'm playing with more lately is almost like instead of calling, but sort of summoning. He's summoning. He's he summoned you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. For 2,000 years, the Christians have understood that there is real, genuine content to the Christian faith. Content to be developed, content to be debated, content to be taught, content to be learned, and what is that content? That content is the nature, is the true nature of reality. The true, uh, gosh, for so long now, I've used these four questions I got from N.T. Wright 20 years ago, that the fundamental questions that we ask are, who are we as humans? Where are we? What is this place that we're in? What is the problem? Why is the, why are things so messed up and what is the solution? Well, different religions supply different answers to those questions. Christianity is not Islam, is not Judaism, is not Buddhism, is not Hinduism. They all supply different answers to those questions. And by virtue of the resurrection of Jesus, we confidently proclaim to the world that the true answers to those questions are found in the content of the Christian gospel. It's not arrogant. It's just like getting, what is it like? It's like getting arithmetic questions right. It's like getting, I always go back to this, my 10th tenth, my tenth grade Euclidean geometry right. Remember that stuff? Man, it kind of beat me up in the 10th grade. Um, it, yes. This is true. This is true. That's what it is. Yes, there is a God who created everything there is. And yes, he has been about saving us from ourselves. And so Paul wants them to stand firm in the teachings. You know, we live in a time in which everybody wants to be innovative. Or everybody wants to reinvent everything from top to bottom for themselves. And they don't realize that that's, that's not the way to come to Christianity. You're not, you don't come to Christianity or church to reinvent everything in a way that suits you. No, you come there to learn. And in that learning, and when you get far enough down that learning, then you might be ready to have a voice at the table, okay, about some of the questions. But, but a lot of people just want to short circuit short circuit all of that um, and and that's too bad you know one thing Arthur and I have both brought out in the last few years is that in the early church if you go way back to well this time and for a while afterwards and a person coming to join the Jesus movement join the way join the community of believers would go through a 
three-year period of catechism, which merely means instruction. They would go three-year period of instruction and be baptized at the end of it. They wouldn't be baptized at the beginning. They would be baptized at the end. And I think there are too many people who, A, don't appreciate, too many Christians who don't appreciate the learning that must take place if, to quote Paul, we are to be transformed by the renewing of, of our minds so that we know what is right and true and good, Romans 12, 2. Um, oh, I had a second thought and it flew out of my head. doesn't matter. So, so this learning, it, it just, of course it matters. It has to. A lot of people want to race to the application of everything. Well, then you just end up doing whatever you think seems right in your own mind. And that is that deadly verse from the end of the book of Judges. There was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. No stronger word of condemnation anywhere in the Bible from beginning to end. Patty and I just finished watching a show. Second season, Mosquito Coast. The dad is always instructing his children in that show about doing right. Well, in, in dad's mind, who is the final arbiter of what is right? He is. He is. <laughs> no, can't be. Can't be. We are, not, we are not true arbiters of right and wrong. And where did it get him? Where well, did it get him? I guess I can recommend that show, huh? I mean, it's a little offbeat, but yes, it's, it is. And it's some, not overly... There is some foul language in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, there's foul language everywhere. You know, it's uh, funny. You know, Patty and I turn things off. I turn things off when I feel like the bad language is gratuitous, but when I feel like the person that's being depicted would actually talk like that, nah, it doesn't bother me, because it's how the world is. So... Scott, I did yeah. want you before you went on. Yeah. Um, Mona made a carp. Uh, Mona Carpenter made uh -huh. a, a little note there that she thought it was interesting. I didn't know if you wanted to speak on that. That was verse thirteen, where yes, it is. good Mona. Gosh, Mona, that's like a home run. Yes. Yay, Mona. Yay, Mona. <laughs> you see, so okay, so here in the space of a few words, Paul lifts up the Father. He lifts up the Spirit. And he lifts up Jesus, right? Is the Father mentioned in there? But we ought to write the first few words. But we ought always to thank God, right, for you. So, so um, the the point being that it's it's places like that where you find the Christians working their way toward an understanding of the Trinity, that God is one, but in three persons. And, and um, there are places where Paul explicitly mentions the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, so that's cool. Thank you, Mona, that's awesome. So if you look for him, you begin to see him. And, and, and you understand, well, you know, this Trinity stuff didn't just pop into somebody's head. It's woven like like threads in a rug throughout um, these writings in the New Testament. And Paul saying in verse 15, hold firm to the teachings we passed on to you. 
Don't be battered about. Don't get persuaded by some fast-talking huckster who comes to town and tries to convince you of something else. Hold, Stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Okay? Paul's letters are pastoral letters, and they're letters in which he, he teaches. Okay? So verse 16. And then he says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, there we go, to Mona's point, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. We are not alone in the lives we lead. We are not alone in getting through a dark world. We are not alone and surviving the troubles of our lives. Um, God is with us through all of this. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, because our hope is, it's a hope that isn't like I hope I'm going to win the lottery. It's a hope grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. We know what's coming We know what's coming. And that should be a supreme source of comfort for Christians who are facing the end of their life on earth. It is not the end of their existence. Paul summarizes it as being with Christ and what could be better. In the Lord of the Rings, which I've been watching some of in spare time now and then lately. I don't know why, but I have been. And so Gandalf the wizard is talking to the little hobbit. The little hobbit thinks he's going to die, Pippin, the next day in battle. And and Gandalf is, is comforting him because, you see, Gandalf basically says to him, you know, this life, there's more to this life. And Pippin asks him, well, what is it like? He says, ah, well, you know, I cross this great river and on the other side... It's just green meadows and on and on. And Pippin just says, oh, that's just so wonderful. So what is that? That's just embracing the truth um, because Lord of the Rings was written by Tolkien, who was a Christian, that this life, there's more to this life than simply the years, the 80 or 90 or 70 or 100 years we might have before we pass on. I find myself even using different language now to talk about that. I used to think sometimes people who wouldn't use the word die are people who were, ah, they were just, they were just big softies, but I, I, I was wrong. I find myself using, I don't even use the word pass away so much. I just, I use the words pass on. Because that's what Paul expects. That's what he knows, that he is going to pass on to be with Christ. So, anyway, all right, so chapter 3, okay? Anything else anybody's got? Any little tidbits on this cold? My nose is cold. Well, how about we turn that I'm okay. I don't, want, I don't want to get hot. I do a lot better if I'm a little chilly than if I'm a little hot. All righty. Chapter 3, as for other matters, Paul says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Okay, he's asking for prayers, just like Doug did earlier. 
He's asking for prayers. Prayers for what is the follow-on question? That the message of the Lord, and that Lord would be Jesus, the message of Jesus may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Paul is very focused on his vocation, on the job that Jesus gave him to do. And he, he wants them to pray that this work is able to go on and be, and be received and spread. It, it's kind of like in the book of Acts when um, Peter and, and I think it was James and John are arrested and the community of believers in Jerusalem, which is very new, they're all nervous, they gather together and they pray. And what do they pray for? They pray for boldness. They pray that their fears about what the authorities will do will not keep them away from living the life that they have been called to, spreading the gospel and the rest. Okay, verse 2. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith. He has Paul has faced a lot in the course of his travels, and he will face more. And he prays for deliverance from wicked and evil people, just like in the Lord's Prayer, we pray for deliverance from evil, right? Yes. In Matthew, it's the evil one. It's more, tiny bit more specific in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and I, I, I would suspect that when Paul writes that, there are a couple of people, that's, there are some folks that spring to mind. But of course, he would like that the Thessalonians would pray for him that he would be delivered from wicked and evil people. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen you and he will protect you from the evil one. Okay, and who do you think Paul has in mind there? Devil. The devil, the devil. Satan. Yeah. Yes. Okay, and and in the New Testament, um, Satan is the power behind the thrones. That's part of what the Book of Revelation is about revealing. That yes, there's Caesar and there's the local governors and. There's Pontius Pilate, not, but, but it is Satan and those who work against God's purposes, purposes are really the powers behind, behind these engines of evil doing and the engines of persecution and so forth. It's a, it's, Paul's understanding of how the world works. And I've said many times for a long time in my life, Satan to me was merely the personification of evil. It's a way of talking about evil and wrong. But I have set that aside because I just think it's cheating in the Bible if I accept the angels and dismiss the demons, even the chief demon, Satan. So I think that, yes... That doesn't mean I spend every hour worrying, making spiritual warfare, but to acknowledge 
that there are spiritual forces, spiritual persons of wickedness who work against God and work against goodness? Yeah, I'm not down with that. Down with it, as they say. So verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. Command. Strong word, huh? Yes, that is Yes, you see? Word. Paul is not shy about this. <laughs> you know, um, he is not running a democracy. He is, he's been called by God to create these colonies of this, of these reborn humans who come to faith in Christ and he is confident in his teaching and his instruction and his commands to them about how they can best be the church and best be the persons um, that God desires and needs to do this work. So. He's just, you know, like I've said many times, he, Paul is like A++++, right? Uh, in terms of personality. He's very confident, very bold, and I think part of that is personality, and part of that is his encounter with Jesus, and part of that probably comes from his experience in doing this work. But if you have problems with Paul, just remember, God chose him. God chose him. God chose him for a reason. He was not, he was not a random dude that God, God just picked. There are a lot of reasons why God would have picked Paul. Many more reasons than why God would have chosen Abraham. So, so he says to them, may the, in verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Okay? So it's like giving yourself over to the love of God. And what do you think he means by Christ's perseverance? Perseverance to what? Being faithful to the end. To the right. end, to the cross. Again, I'm going to use Lord of the Rings. That's the whole story yes. with Frodo and Sam. Yep. They're faithful all the way to the end. It's that faithfulness that is in view. There, it is Jesus' faithfulness that is in view as he comes to the cross. Um, the only thing is Frodo had a Sam. Jesus didn't have anybody that was really <laughs> faithful to him till the end. Yes, and Frodo wasn't Jesus, so. You oh, know. I know, I and know. The, yeah, and the Lord of Rings is, a, is it an allegory. It's just informed by Tolkien's Christian yes. worldview. Well, people probably know by now <laughs> that you have trained me every single movie we see just look at it through theological eyes and I was even doing that with a man called Otto the other day yeah. Um, so yeah it's yeah because uh, it's, it's all there because it's and the reason is because theology is about God and the world we live in and the practical real world nature of it all but right? what's funny is a lot of people that are making the movies don't have faith in God and really just don't realize that that is kind of what's happening, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, you're right. So. Okay. So, 
anything else out there, just type it in. Just type it in. Okay. <laughs> I love this next section. It is a bit of a hoot. Okay. So there's here he's going to address a problem that he's heard about from Thessalonica. And he waits to the end of the letter to do it. So he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters. So you're not going to get more serious than that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle, meaning not working, who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teacher teaching you receive from us. Even in these house churches, there are people you kind of wonder why they're there, but I guess people are complicated. But there are people who are being disruptive. They're not doing their part. Um, they're wanting to, <laughs> kind of like in 2023, they are there to inform everybody about what their opinion is, as opposed to trying to learn from Paul via word of mouth or by, or or from his letters. And then he goes on in verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. That's Paul's example. That's what he means. We, as in Paul, and his associates, I know, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we work night and day. He's a leather of wor um, <laughs> a worker of leather. A uh, tent maker, probably other leather goods, but a tent maker principally, working with leather, working with canvas, you know, that kind of thing. On the contrary, we work night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. This is very much Paul's way. He comes to the towns, he sets up shop, he practices his trade. He will. He tells them that he doesn't have to do that. That he is entitled. He he's entitled to being support supported as he does the work of the gospel, the work given him by Jesus. Um, but he he's he's going to support himself. He doesn't ever want to be accused of anything having to do with money. Oh, Paul, you're just here again because you want us to put you up and feed you and stuff. Nope. On the con Look at verse 8. On the contrary, we work night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, my point, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. To imitate. Gosh, Paul does that several times in his letters. Imitate me as I imitate the Lord, he writes. Whew! That is a confident, courageous Christian who would say to other Christians, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. But he's a smart man because he knows that we learn most powerfully and unavoidably from role models, from role models. 
I spend a lot of time around Robert Asley. I spend a lot of time around Charles Stokes. I spent too little time around Leighton Farrell. I spent a lot of time around Charlene Farler, for those of you who remember Charlene. And Sam. And Sam. So from all these people, I learned. I learned. <coughs> and strove to imitate them in some ways. Right? So it's, it's just what happens. That's how we learn. It's how children learn. That's why we talk about, you know, children need good role models. Well, yeah, because they're going to have role models. The choice isn't whether they're going to have any. The only choice is whether it's going to be a good role model or a bad role model. They're going to have them. And if they're not found at home, they're going to find them somewhere. Okay? So, verse 9 again, We did this not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, quote, The one who is unwilling to work, <coughs> to work shall not eat. Right? Some scholars speculate that folks are so focused on Jesus being about to return that they just want to kind of lay around in hammocks and wait for it. I mean, if, if Jesus is going to come back in the week, why do I need to do anything? I'll just lay around here. I'll be comfortable. You know, let other people who aren't as confident about that as I am take care of things. But not for Paul. He says, no, no, no. Um, I think, first of all, he has a more mature understanding of Jesus' return, and it could be soon, but it might not be. And secondly, work is given to humans by God before the rebellion, right, before in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, work has already been given to them. Work is a good thing. It gets a lot of it, it gets ruined as most everything does by the rebellion against God, but it's given to, they're given a beautiful place to live um, and to work. They're supposed to till the soil and work the ground in the Garden of Eden. So work should be fulfilling and satisfying, and it's an integral part of being human, um, not, not just laying in hammocks. Now, there are people who can't work. I get that. that you know that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who simply choose idleness. You know, there are, I just, I read from Economist today, I read just such a fascinating article a few weeks ago by an economist who, he said that the scariest part of what's happening in our economy today is there are like seven million men of prime working age who just aren't. And he says, where are they? Where are they? Because I think even this economist knows that they need to be at work. They need to find work. Work is ennobling. And, and um, here Paul just says, you know, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. That the idlers who are being disruptive, and they'll probably be disruptive, got all this time on their hands. 
They are not being part of the community. The community has no, no obligation to support them. Now that's interesting, don't you think, Patty? I, I do. I think it would surprise a lot of people that Paul would say that. Yes. Um, what do you mean they're not going to get fed? There's still people. Well, there's still people, but <laughs> if you're able-bodied and able to work, you need to work. That's 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 yes. Paul's point. It's 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 sort of like there's a certain what is it? Life is like a like a um, it's it's like a fabric and it's woven together from many different kinds of strands and a very very important strand in life is to work. Now we get old and we retire. Retirement, you know, that whole idea is is even I don't know. It's it's a fairly modern idea. Um, I think it's probably worked out well for some. I think there's lots of people that had didn't work out well for um, who didn't know what to do with themselves. I feel very blessed because I'm getting older and older, but I have this work at the church that I like doing, and they they want me to keep doing it. So that's um, that's awesome. And I see that Lynn wrote also in Daily Work Life, co-workers see how you handle things, and you're a witness to, for Jesus and His way. That can bring others to Christ's way. Absolutely. That is so true. That is true. How do you respond under stress? Right? Do you, if somebody insults you, do you fire back in kind? Or do you hold your tongue? There's, there's, there's lots of ways to be a good witness to Jesus. And you can't be a good witness to Jesus by just sitting alone in a hammock. So anyway. Well, Scott, I feel like, you know, so many people who are online today, and I, I, I know who everybody is, um, so many of them, I'm sure, worked long and hard like their whole life. Yes. And now have more free time than they did before. And how do they spend it? Many of them spend it, you know. In service. Studying. At, yes, and, and studying coming to Bible work, studies Bible and studies things like that, and, and Tuesday and volunteering. That, isn't that kind of the what place? the Second Act Ministry is all about? Yes, it is. It truly is. I wasn't doing a plug for that. I'm just saying. <laughs> that, no, seriously. Yeah. I know some people get very, you know, they do get bored, or it's not what they thought it would be. But um, just so many of these folks I know are involved in so many things, and so we're, they never had a chance before. Who has a chance when you're? 40 or 50 to just take off and go to a 12 o'clock Bible study or three in the afternoon Bible study. You don't. So it's also really important once, once you're, you know, once your years of maybe working for a living have changed to, right. you know, don't you right. think? Yes. Well, yes. So and, and of course, the world we live in is vastly different in those ways from Paul's world, in which people worked their whole lives. They did. They did. And true. this community had a lot of work to be yes. done. We, we see that in the book of Acts. And he's, you, you could paraphrase what Paul says. It says, if you're not willing to pitch in, you don't eat. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I think, a, a way to hear him well. People are very surprised when I, not you guys, because you guys have been in my Bible studies a long time, but 
I think a lot of Christians are surprised when they first when it first dawns on them that work was given to the humans before they ate the apple or the forbidden fruit. It was part of the Garden of Eden. Work was part of the Garden of Eden, the good part. That's something important there, I think. So he then says, Well, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They aren't busy. They are busybodies. This is something he turns to as well. And I think it comes from Oh, Mona just put there is idleness. no retirement in agricultural professions. <laughs> no, see, she's true. right. Then Paul writes, So such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So everybody pitch in. Don't get tired of doing what is good. Um, don't be disruptive. It's, it's surprising when I, to people when I tell them this, but in the ancient world, a problem was idleness for free people because even a modest family had a slave or two to take care of all of the real hard work of running the household. So idleness and what to do with idle time was a bit of a problem. Um, ideas like symposia and gymnasia in ancient Greece really came about because of, of idleness. And that's kind of how symposia began as really, they kind of began as drinking parties. You know, they weren't meetings of learned professors gathering together. They were kind of drinking parties because there was a problem with idleness for some folks. Okay. Any thoughts, questions? No. Verse 14. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order, why? So that they may feel ashamed. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm just telling you, I think shame is a powerful motivator. You know, I guess I'm sure I could line up a hundred psychologists who would tell me all the harm shame does, but I'm telling you, my experience in life is that shame can be a powerful motivator and to the extent that we live in a society which has lost all sense of shame, that's not a good thing. That's Scott Engel's take, you know, on January 30th. Yes, and just, to, <sighs> you know, Scott, you have to be careful there, though, because okay. people... Okay, thank you, Patty. Really, I just <laughs> feel that... Um, you know, especially like teenagers these days and kids in school and kids online, they're made to feel ashamed sometimes of who they are, well, I guess what that, they look like. Um, I never grew like up that. in a world filled with social media. But that's that's what the kids and our grandkids yeah. are living with now. So yeah. I'm just saying, it's good if somebody really has the capability of helping out and they're sitting on their butt and they're not doing a thing ever, right. ever, ever, but maybe complaining. But there are also times where Shaming people has hurt people really, really badly. So I guess I, guess I, could, I could rephrase that. Yes. Okay? 
do not associate with them in order that they may come to see that they're not doing their part and that they aren't really participating in the community like they should, like they said they would, and thus come back in. Because so, he's not ban- he's not banning people. He's not telling them to shun people. Really. Diana says that Carl has many problems with this entire <laughs> verse. <laughs> okay. Well, and I can see that. You yeah. Know, it's, it... <laughs> you know, let, let, let me open my my NRSV here for a second. So Carl. one of the things you say when you when you talk about Chris, uh, um, reading scripture, you do always say different. You know, like the way you're supposed to read scripture about right who is talking, who are they talking to, all that kind of stuff. is deep in thought okay i you know i think it's all about you know paul is trying to get this and we'll look at the next verse and it will become come clearer i think it's it's he's trying to come up with ways long distance to get people to remain in the community and to do their part and to not be disruptive, because all these communities are really fragile, right? It wouldn't take much to blow these these little tiny house churches up. They don't have the traditions and the learning and the libraries and the pastors and all the, the budgets and all the other kind of stuff we have now. So he says, don't associate with them in order that they may be as- feel ashamed of what? of their behavior in the community. Do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. I think Paul, it just strikes me as being very pastoral. And for Paul, it's very caught up in the reality of these house churches. They are there to be the beginnings of this, as N.T. Wright puts it, this new human race, reborn in Christ. And they're fragile. And at times, like in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul urges them to send somebody away. Just get rid of them. I think because Paul believes that that man has might just kind of blow the whole thing up. Church killers. There's books written on church killers in our in our time. So here he says, whatever he means by ashamed, he means. I think he means it in the sense of being able to pull them back in. Don't see them as enemies. They're not enemies. But warn them. Say, come on, man. Well, Scott, right there you could read where Mike has put what his footnote is in his NIV, and I think that's exactly what you're saying. The aim is not punishment, but restoration to fellowship. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever wrote that footnote. So it has to be restoration to fellowship because of this verse 15. 
Of course he doesn't want them to be seen as an enemy. But as a fellow believer, war, but, but here's the thing. This stuff matters for Paul. It's, he, Paul is never going to be the, oh, never mind. I just want him to feel good about himself. Never mind, just let him go. No for Paul, he's going to be out there pulling this person into the community and saying, look, man, you said you wanted to be part of this. Here's what that means. Listen to me. I'm your pastor. God has given me this to do, to 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 help you, but but you've you've got your part to do something like that, something in all that language, because it is about the restoration to fellowship, not just any fellowship, right? Not this is not Kiwanis, or the JCs. This is Christian fellowship. This is the church. Linda says her King James says, count him not an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. There you go. Right? Same idea, right, Patty? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yes. Maybe all of that will help Carl, Carl a, a little bit. I don't know, you know. Paul writes, and he writes from a time 2,000 years ago, and he writes in Greek, not English, and sometimes he can make your head spin off. Sometimes do we get a little lost in translation? We get a little lost in translation. You got it, Patty. So, of course, he wants to restore people to fellowship. That's his goal. His goal, remember? Okay, Paul, two-by-two two matrix. Do what builds up the body of Christ. Do what is a good witness to others. Don't do what tears down the body of Christ. Don't do what is a poor witness to others. Pretty much everything he says fits into one of those four squares. And that neat little two-by-two two matrix. And admonishing a person sometimes and saying to them, it's like the fella who, well, it's sort of like that. Philip Yancey once wrote about a guy who came to see him and laid out all his problems at home and with his wife. And he wanted Philip Yancey, this is this Christian writer, Philip Yancey, to give him the okay to, to get divorced. And Philip Yancey wasn't going to do it. He knew the couple. And he says, I, I, I told him no. He 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 needed to, he needed he I admon I guess in King James language I admonished him <laughs> as a brother and told him no you need to you need to go home you need to you need to you need to approach this differently I'm I'm not going to give you my okay for this divorce I don't know <laughs> okay you have any other thoughts there Patty no I don't. <laughs> Fresh shadow thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Well, as Paul always does, there's a little section of final greetings. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Verse 17. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Aha! So, at best, Paul has dictated this letter, right? But we don't know how much of 
Paul is in every word versus how much of whoever took down the letter is in every word or how much they worked on the words or the paragraphs. All we have is what is on the page, right? Yes. And Paul sometimes does this. He does it in Gal at the end of the Galatians. He says, I'm writing now with my own hand so you know how upset I am. But here he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. I guess so which would mean that he, it's a way to know this is really from Paul. Maybe the distinguishing mark is his handwriting is so crummy um, that it's obvious why he, he uses um, secretaries. <laughs> and amanuensis is the fancy name for it. Um, he says, this is how I write. <laughs> That's, yeah. And so what does Paul write? The very last line in the letter is what? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That word grace. For Paul, that word grace is so, it's so alive and it's so real. As God's grace is poured out on these, on these very, very new um, community of communities of believers in Thessalonica who've been through a lot. Remember, they themselves were being persecuted and had a lot of troubles. And then they have some internal troubles because they got some some folks who are claiming that the day of the Lord has already come, and there's other folks who, you know, are just kind of laying in the hammocks waiting for it to come and and. He, he wants to call them all to this fellowship and ask them to stand firm in his teaching, hold fast to what is true, and all while they stand within the um, outpouring of Jesus' grace. You know, grace is what? It's, it's not an empty word. It's a meaningful word. We, we see it so often that it can become empty to us, just another nice little sounding you know thing to be cross-stitched. But it means unmerited favor. Grace is about Jesus pouring out upon us his favor, his blessings, even though we don't deserve them, haven't earned them, couldn't earn them, they are unmerited. We don't merit them. It is God's gift. And um, Paul knows that he needs that grace, that all of the Thessalonians need that grace, and here we are 2,000 years later, and we know that we need that, need that grace. So, and there the letter ends. A short letter, three chapters long. The middle section on that stuff about evil and the man, the man of destruction, and the restrainer that people get try to get too specific about. I think, but there's a lot of good advice here about prayer, about um, recognizing that really in the body of Christ, even in a place like St. Andrew, we all have to look for ways to pitch in. 
There are things we can all do, even if you're in a place in life where you you can't do a lot of work physically, you can still, assuming you're able, come to church with a smile on your face and greet people kindly and warmly and let them know that you are glad that they are there. That's powerful. I was talking with a lady yesterday. She had come to St. Andrew last year after spending a good bit of time at Prestonwood. And she said to me that nobody ever came to us, nobody ever spoke to us. We just kind of went in and sat down and then left. And she, she said that was not our experience at St. Andrew. The day that they walked in the door at St. Andrew, they were greeted. And she said, you know, the first time we came to St. Andrew was for a funeral. A funeral. And we still felt like this was the place. I said, well, it is the place. So I'm glad you're here. So anyway, Patty, what else do you have? Anything about, about this? About the Thessalonians? No. Um, that was the first time I've ever been through those two books. Well, we've preached First Thessalonians, but I've never been through Second Thessalonians. Oh gosh, <laughs> Second Thessalonians with um, any deep care. We've never preached on it. We've um, people stay away. I think a lot of folks stay away from it because of some of that stuff in chapter two. Um, but regardless. It's, it reminds me that it's all, it's all helpful. It's all worthwhile. You, you just have to come striving to learn and striving to, to, to hear God's word in it for you. After you're in, you know, along with being informed about what, what Paul wrote. Those two things go together. Okay. Well, Patty... When we come back next Monday, we will begin Hosea. Yay. The prophet Hosea. And that'll be it's a it's a very interesting story and and there'll be some prophetic writing there. Now we're kind of practiced at it because on Mondays we did Isaiah, right? Yes. So we're kind of we're, we're kind of equipped for it. We are. Aren't we? We are. And it's a much easier for me to say. <laughs> but if you've never read this one, it is a really surprising, a very surprising book. And I don't know. Um, I, I guess, you know, in the New Testament, we hear Jesus talking all, all the time about um, the bridegroom waiting for yes. the bride. Yes. And this story to me is that, you know, when we're not, we're not faithful to what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. That's right. And so, anyway, I, th I think it's uh, very interesting. And too. there's a connection to... To... Andy Griffith. Because... Come next Monday. I'll oh. point it out. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I, I attended Preston Wood more than uh, 25 years ago, they had a whole... Yeah 
Bible series one day, like the world according to, or the Bible according to Mayberry. Yeah. And um, I don't know exactly how they did it. The, I think they would watch like a little 23 minute episode without commercials and yes. and then they would, because what you, there's what always. What you could do, there's always, you know. Always good yeah, things in yeah. there. Yeah. You know, the funniest thing somebody once pointed out to me was that Mayberry is this place where everybody's pretty happy. And nobody's married. I know. Isn't that so wrong? <laughs> <laughs> no, none of them are married. Not Floyd, not Andy, not nope. Barney. None of them are married. Nope. Nope. It is. It is kind of funny. It is. It is. Yeah. The only okay, one that's look. married is the drunk guy that always comes in and is, he tries to, right? He lets himself in. Yeah. Is he put, married? Yes, he is. Because, yes, there have been episodes. Do we meet her? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. So, um, and he can't remember his name. I know somebody will remember who, who oh, I'm talking I know. about. He's just a jolly, fun guy who loves spending time with Andy and Barney at the <laughs> down at the sheriff's office. Thank you guys for Thank joining you. us. Thank you for being here. And for being through this whole series. And um, nothing is happening at our house right now. It may be happening where you are, but I just pray that you all stay safe and try to stay in if you possibly can. Um, Otis! It's Otis. Of course. Oh, you see, yeah. Thanks, guys. We, cr we crowdsourced it again. <laughs> oh, goodness, goodness. Wow. Oh, okay. and, and Susan also put it like a little book recommendation there that Francine Rivers' book, Redeeming Love, is um, based on Hosea. Okay. So that's, very good. Uh, she's a, a very, um, very good Christian author. I just want to point out one thing. The connection I have in mind to Andy Griffith is yes. very lame. So... Well, you just got to understand going in, into next week. Okay. That doesn't surprise you, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> anyway, let's close let's in pray. prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we, we were able to do this book and take it verse by verse for the past few weeks. We are very grateful, Lord. Again, just to have a way that we can do this safely and on a day like today in nice, warm, and cozy places. Um I pray, God, that you would watch over each of us in the coming days. We are expected to have, a, you know, it doesn't happen here often, but some bad weather. And I just pray, God, for all of us to stay safe and be smart and don't go out if we don't have to and all that kind of good stuff. Lord, I just pray that you would watch over us, Lord. I pray, God, for just your grace, Lord, as we were just talking about. We know that your grace is free but it was never cheap and we just pray god for you to still shower us with your grace lord every day because we certainly need it all this we pray in the great and glorious name of jesus christ amen amen okay stay warm bye friends bye bye, -bye. bye, -bye. i'm gonna go turn on andy right now <laughs>